This morning, we are continuing, as Anne said, in the book of Hebrews, which we've been unpacking for a few months now. If you haven't been with us the past few weeks, I'll give you a little catch-up. It's a letter from an unknown author writing to a group of Jews that have chosen to follow Christ probably about 50 years after his death and resurrection. The community has experienced quite severe persecution. Some have been put in prison because of their faith in Christ, and it's causing them to question whether it's all worth it. A few people have already left the group and returned to mainline Judaism. So the author is seeking to teach the group why Jesus is worth the sacrifice that they are making. And he does this by using the language and the stories that are really core to their community, which might be a bit foreign for us. Uh, The journey of the Jewish people and their relationship with God. So he begins in chapter 1 and 2, looking at Jesus and the angels and the law, saying if Israel was called... Uh, called to pay that much attention to the law, which was delivered by the angels, how much more attention should we pay to the message delivered by the Son of God? And then we went on to chapters 3 and 4, and the author moves on to compare Jesus to the prophet Moses, who led the Jewish people out of Egypt into the wilderness towards the promised land. The people did not listen, and they lost many of the blessings that God wanted for them. And here he tells that Jesus leads all people toward the promise of the new creation. He declares that if Jesus is higher than Moses, not merely a prophet, but God himself, how much higher are the stakes if we don't follow him? Next, the author turned to the Jewish priests who atoned for and covered over the sins of the people. But the priests themselves were morally flawed and something more was needed. And Jesus was that something more. He is morally flawless and he's eternally available for his people. He's superior to any other mediator between God and humans. And thus to reject Jesus is to reject the one chance at being fully reconciled to God. And that brings us to where we are here today, where the author points to how Jesus' sacrifice of himself is the only way to reconcile with God. Unlike the sacrifices of the temple, which had been offered daily and yearly, Christ's sacrifice is enough to cover over the sins of the whole world once and for all. To turn your back on it and to not accept that sacrifice is to lose your opportunity to be reconciled with the one who made you, who loves you completely. So let's have a look. Um, The words will be up on the screen, but if you would like to join me with a Bible, there's some at the back. Um, If you do, it's on page 1208. Hebrews 10, starting at verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, who has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. 
and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those early days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. You will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For, here the author is quoting the book of Isaiah, chapter 26. In just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, here we've got a reference to Habakkuk, but my righteousness will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) When I opened this text a few weeks ago to prepare for this morning, uh, I felt it was a bit intense and scary. Um, And I've sat with it for a few weeks, praying with it, um, reading about it. And my conclusion is, it is a bit intense, uh, but it doesn't need to be scary. (laughs) So uh, it's quite serious stuff, what we're talking about this morning. It should make us uncomfortable and it should cause us to consider our own lives, but it doesn't need to make us scared. What the author's trying to do here is first a warning, but primarily an encouragement. So let's unpack the warning. Humanity is broken. Our relationship with our creator is broken. We rebel against what is good. We choose greed over generosity. We choose ourselves over one another. We are not living as we were made to. Because our creator is a God of justice, at the end of days, he will reveal us for all we are. In the ways we have chosen a life of comfort over truth, in the ways we have chosen our own success over what is right, in the ways we have lied to ourselves and to one another. Because God is ultimate goodness and love, to heal our relationship, we need to be able to meet him in ultimate goodness and love. But of course, we've fallen short of that already. And there isn't really anything we can do to counteract that. We can't take back all our hurtful thoughts and actions. We can't do anything ourselves, but that doesn't mean that nothing can be done. Because for us to be made clean, we need a perfect sacrifice, which wipes us clean, pays our debt, and brings us into the loving arms of our creator. And that's where we get our good news, our gospel, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. Jesus offered himself to be the living sacrifice, to cleanse us from our sin, to pay our debt, to reunite us with God. And to know that, to know God, the creator of the universe, all-powerful, all-being, eternal God, sacrificed his own son for you, is extraordinary. Nothing can compare to news of that magnitude. It turns the world on its head. But remember, this author is speaking to a group that are considering turning their back on that news. This decision isn't coming out of nowhere. They're really struggling 
with how they've set their lives apart, earnestly choosing Jesus when everyone around them seems to hate him. They're wondering if it's all worth it. Maybe it would just be easier to go back to their old lives. And essentially, what our author in Hebrews is saying is, if you don't choose Christ, you who know how important his sacrifice is, you who know his love and his goodness, you who know that he gave himself over to be killed for your sake, if you turn away from him and choose to return to your old life, you're rejecting God. Christ is the only way that you can be in right relationship with God. To reject Christ is to reject God and his mercy, and you will receive the fair consequences of your behavior, consequences that Christ offered to take for you on your behalf at the cross. This is not to say that after we sin, if we sin after hearing the gospel, we're all doomed. Please don't hear that. Uh, No, all Christians sin after meeting Christ. Some of those sins are inadvertent, unintended, accidental. Some sins are committed in a moment of weakness, even when we know their sins. Note the passage is talking about the sin of deliberately turning your back to Jesus. If we know that Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins and the high priest who gives us access to God, and yet we turn away, the author warns that we're not going to find salvation anywhere else. There is no other sacrifice for sins, no other way to turn to return to right relationship with God, except for what Jesus has already done. Those that reject him will face God's judgment. They will be conscious of their sins, yet they have refused the cleansing power that God provided. And that offer is very serious, and rejection of it is quite serious. The deliberate sin is a rejection of Jesus. To know him and to reject him. The author reasons that since we have a better covenant... It is a greater offense to reject this covenant with Jesus. He doesn't directly state this. He puts it in the form of question. Do they deserve punishment? Yes, but we all do. Did Jesus die to pay their sins and to sanctify them? Yes, he did. Does the author believe that people who reject Jesus will be punished or that it's simply a matter that they suffer the natural consequences of their own lack of faith? We don't really know. Because he puts it as a question, and the question isn't really designed to state doctrine. Uh, The author says that rejecting Jesus is comparable to trampling him underfoot. Even though these people were sanctified by the death of Jesus, if they rejected his sacrifice, they would be insulting the Holy Spirit. The purpose throughout this passage is that the readers will not fall away. They will realize how insulting it would be to abandon their faith, to abandon Christ, as if his sacrifice was nothing, He gave his life for them, and they act like they don't care. My friends, this morning, for just a moment, I would love for you to consider how you respond to Christ's sacrifice of himself for you. Without shame or guilt, just sit for a moment and consider how you have responded to Christ and how that may have shifted since you first heard the good news as it's shifting in the lives of these people. Then we gather in and we'll talk about the the more positive bits of this chapter. (laughs) One of my aunts is a bonsai artist. 
she grows these adorable tiny trees. Uh, one day she gave me one that was as old as me. I wasn't that old, but you know, it was still pretty old. Um, it was a sweet little oak. Uh, I adored that present for a little while. Uh, it was all I talked about for a few months was my tiny little oak tree. And then at some point I forgot to water it. And then my tree began to look a bit unhealthy. And I didn't really know what to do. So I tried more water and less water and new soil and a new pot. And eventually I thought, I think I might just give up. <laughs> this is not going well. Uh, so I put it out in the garden and I hoped that it would sort itself out or maybe it would just go away. I think for many of us, the good news of the gospel uh, might start like that, beautiful or inspiring, but life is complicated and difficult and sometimes it's hard to hold on to. We can choose each day to accept Christ's sacrifice with hope and joy, to come to God earnestly and seriously with a hopeful and loving heart, or we can choose to turn away, to ignore it, to reject the promises of God because they're too hard to believe or because to choose Christ is difficult. Maybe this morning you're feeling somewhat caught in the middle of that. You're not quite over here, not quite over here. That's certainly what we see for the audience of the book of Hebrews. They haven't given up on Christ yet, but they aren't sure he's worth it. The author acknowledges the times that they and their communities had been insulted, had their belongings taken away by the state, been imprisoned, they're really struggling to see the good news of Christ. And the author's encouragement is to trust the fact that God has been faithful and will continue to be. He encourages them to remember everything they have endured already. They had faith that God saw them and held them, would restore them in the resurrection. Were their previous sacrifices for nothing? No, the author says. You had faith then. You can exercise the same faith now. Because God's promises are still good. Do not throw away your hopes for the future. That their faith in God, their relationship to the Creator, to be loved by and to love Christ, it's something to prioritize, something to fight for. It's really tremendously important. It really needs to be taken quite seriously and properly fostered. For those who have come to meet God, your faith is a gift. It's something to be treasured. For those of you this morning that are struggling to see God's goodness, to find joy in your salvation, perhaps you're just ignoring it because that's a bit easier when life's tough. I encourage you to take seriously God's promise that your hope will be restored. And when that doesn't feel possible, to lean on those around you to remind you just as the author of Hebrews is reminding his community. My, my little bonsai tree, after I gave up on it, I left it outside in the scorching Australian sun and tropical storms for the better part of a year. Uh, it was not any happier than uh, when I put it out there. And so when at Christmas my aunt came to stay, I hid it. Um, and I'm not proud of this. Long story short, uh, one of the toddlers found it and brought it to her um, and I had to acknowledge that I had all but killed the plant that she had fostered for 12 years. Um, my aunt, of course, is a lovely person who didn't reprimand me or get mad at me. She just sat with me and showed me how to better care for the gift 
and under her guidance, I managed to resurrect that tiny oak tree. If you're feeling this morning that your joy and the good news of the cross is waning, if it feels hard to hope in Christ, or that at this point, it doesn't feel like it's even really there, that hope, that transforming power of faith in your life, I encourage you to share that with someone, to name that to someone. There's a number of ways that could look like this morning. If you'd like prayer, I or a member of our team would love to pray for you. Perhaps you'd like to name your concerns to someone else you trust so they can journey that with you. In a few moments, we'll take communion together, which is a beautiful reminder of Christ's sacrifice. Do receive as you are comfortable as an outward sign of that acceptance for the tremendous offer God has made for you as part of his deep desire to be in good relationship with you. No matter how you respond this morning, know that whatever you feel about your relationship with God, it's not something to find shame in because shame is not from God. Shame leads you to hide things from your community. But instead, it's best to just be honest with yourself, to sit with that, be honest with the people around you, and most importantly, be honest with God, and allow your shame to be met with his transforming grace. Amen.